0: You are listening to the Lively Show, episode number ten. Welcome to the Lively Show. I'm your host Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for being here with me at episode number ten. At this point, we're just over two months into this podcast, and we've had over thirty-two thousand. 500 downloads and 65 reviews. That is amazing guys. I just appreciate it so much. If you are one of the 65 people who left a review, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have not yet left a review, I really ask you genuinely to go leave a review on iTunes. Please leave a review. It means a lot to me and it also helps the podcast get seen by more people. In today's (laughs) In today's episode, we're talking with Dana Schultz of minimalistbaker.com. Dana's an awesome food blogger who has a ton of great recipes that have a lot of food restrictions in mind. So if you're vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free, there's a lot of great recipes on there that can accommodate any health restrictions you might have. In today's episode, we're gonna be talking with Dana about her decision to become a minimalist with her husband, John. She's gonna describe what that looks like for them and how that has played out in their lives over the last several years. In addition, she's gonna give us recommendations if we wanna add more minimalism to our own lives, and she's going to talk about her approach to time management and blogging. John and Dana sometimes take up to three weeks abroad or traveling, and she's able to run the business and the blog while she's traveling without a hitch, and she explains how to do that. I was quite fascinated by that myself, and I hope it's helpful for any other bloggers out there as well. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dana. Thank you for having me. All right, let's get started. So, Why don't we talk about your career background and how you got to where you are?
1: Well, let's see. I'm kind of a weird story in that I um, started my background is in journalism. And the only reason I came to that conclusion was because the only thing I didn't hate in high school was writing. And so I just picked journalism because it was the most practical application of writing, at least to me at that time. And um, once I start something, I don't like just changing it, especially if I lose time, which I know some people are okay, are okay with changing their majors. But once I was like three classes in, I'm like, all right, I'm doing this. And so I have a degree, a bachelor's degree in communication with an emphasis in journalism. And I graduated in 2008 when newspapers were dying. And so that was a pretty grim situation. Um, but from there, I kind of got into marketing, which I did enjoy for a brief time. But I knew ultimately I did not want to be where I was, Um I don't necessarily thrive in office settings. I don't like sitting in a desk for eight hours a day. And I've discovered that about myself and realized that unless I just really love the work. And so, um, had a couple jobs in marketing and then I, um, got married to my husband, John, and we moved to Portland, Oregon, uh, for a year. And then we moved and I didn't work during that time. I just, I started another blog and it wasn't. I didn't have any intention with it. I just was playing around and it was obvious because I didn't have any focus. And then I kept that blog going. We moved back to Kansas from Oregon so John could go to law school, which is a whole other story. Um, He really ended up not liking it. But anyways, moved back to Kansas. Um, He was going to school. The plan was for me to get a job. However, because writing jobs are just kind of hard to come by if you don't have connections and they aren't very well paying. I just couldn't find a job for the life of me. And so it was kind of hard if you've ever been in that situation where you're looking for a job and you feel like you're qualified for jobs, but they don't pick you for some reason. Um, and so I just kind of had this weird season where I had a lot of time on my hands. So I kept blogging, not, not on Minimal Spaker, on this other blog called My Little Celebration. And it wasn't really going anywhere, like I said. Um, I picked up some odd jobs like at coffee shops and that kind of thing, and eventually landed a job doing some writing and photography and editing at a health website in Wichita, Kansas. So um, we moved back to Wichita after John finished up law school, and um, which is where we're from, Wichita, Kansas, middle of nowhere. Um, and lived there for two years, and it was in Wichita that I started Minimalist Baker with John. He does all the design work and technical things. And then I do all the recipes and photography. And I didn't have a lot of intention with the website in terms of, I just think this is going to become my job. I just really like cooking and eating and photography was becoming more and more of a passion to me. But our first, very first post took off out of nowhere. And we really didn't in plan on that.
0: Okay, I have to stop you there. What was the post about?
1: It was just a recipe for um, really simple oatmeal chocolate chip cookie pancakes, which is a recipe that I have have kind of evolved over my years of because I love pancakes and breakfast. And so to me, it was just this recipe that I always made, and I really liked it, and so I just shared it, and, you know, I shared it online. But it was my very first post, so I didn't really have an audience per se And I guess people really connected with it and they liked that it was refined sugar-free and vegan and gluten-free and healthy. Actually, it wasn't gluten-free, but it was just like a really healthy pancake recipe that was like somehow subtly decadent.
0: How did they find it when you wrote your first post and you didn't have an audience? Was it Pinterest?
1: Yeah, Pinterest, it did really well on Pinterest. I think a couple of bigger, I mean, if anybody knows anything about Pinterest, I call them Pinterest fairies, like those super mega big accounts <laughs> that when they pin something of yours, and then all of a sudden it gets like 5,000 repins, you're like, whoa, that was crazy.
0: The Pinterest fairy came to visit.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't know who this person is, but I like the thing or the Pinterest fairy. Um and then I also, um, foodie bloggers will know that if you submit to food curating sites kind of like um, Food Gawker and Finding Vegan, that that is another way to get exposure. So I did that as well. And we were, I think I posted it and then we went on vacation or something and I checked the statistics or something and I was like, what is happening? It's like blowing up or something. And so that is when John and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, maybe we should take this more seriously. Like, let's see if we can make this work, whatever that meant. And so from there, that was the summer of 2012. And so we're like one and a half years in going on two years and we're just, we both work on it and we love it. And it's our full-time job now.
0: How long did it take you from the first post, which obviously did very well. Yeah. You have a very quick Rise, yeah.
1: So we're super grateful for that because that doesn't happen, and we were not counting on that. So, th- actually, a huge thank you to our fans and and readers for sharing the the heck out of that.
0: So, <laughs> so how long did it go from the first post to full time for both of you?
1: At the time, um, John was finishing up law school and he was commuting, so it was a really hectic time. If anybody has known someone who's gone to law school or been in law school, it's just really time intensive, and it just kind of Sucked the life out of you. So he was working on it too in his free time, whatever that was. And I was working um, full time still at this writing job for this health website I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, maybe six months in. I went part time at that job to work more on the website. And then it was just a few months later that I went ahead and quit that job and went on Minimalist Baker full time. And John graduated. The following May. So we, we launched the website in June 2012. John graduated in May 2013. And a lot of our family was thinking, oh, he's going to take the bar exam and he's going to become a lawyer. But he didn't actually end up doing that. He just kind of came aboard and we work on it full time now. And it seems like to some people it's like, so what does John do? Or you know, how is there two people working on a website? But there's if anybody, anybody who owns a website, uh, or knows anything about it, it's just really there's so many things to do. And it is extremely helpful to have two people working on it, we can get more done, we cover more ground, and we do it more efficiently and professionally, I think so.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds like a dream come true to have someone helping you with all the things you don't want to focus on. Yeah. So that that behind the scenes gets taken care of. Exactly. So, on your blog, Dana, you've shared that you've become a minimalist with John. Can you tell us what that means and why you decided to become one? That's a really
1: great question. I feel like a lot of people misunderstand what minimalism is, and a lot of our friends will like pick at us and be like, oh, you don't buy anything, you're minimalists. Or, <laughs> you know, it, there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding it. But to us, it just means kind of living simply, removing distractions um, from our lives, whether it's extra time commitments that we've made that are cluttering up our schedule or, you know, frankly, too many belongings that we have to move around with us because we've moved a lot, which is probably another impetus for us becoming, um, minimalist if you will. Um, but to me, it, yeah, it just means living really simply and intentionally because it, you kind of carry less things around and you have more freedom and for us kind of the less things that we have and, and, the fewer obligations we commit ourselves to, the more time we have and the more resources we have to do the things that we love. So, I mean, we do have a very simple apartment. We share a car. We, you know, keep a very simple budget. We don't buy stuff we don't really need or really want. We don't say yes to everything that people throw our way. We're really intentional because we value our time. So yeah, it means a lot of different things to different people, but that's how I would say I would define it.
0: And was there a spark? Was there one moment that made you become a minimalist or how did this idea become a part of your life? Um, Well,
1: we share a very small kind of snippet of uh, this story on our about page on Minimalist Baker. But essentially when we got married, we were both in jobs that we didn't like and it And we kind of wanted an adventure. And so we decided to move to Portland, Oregon. And we didn't have that many things that we just loved. Like as a college student, you know, you buy a crappy couch or whatever. And uh, so we weren't really tied to anything, which was great. And we decided to move out there just fitting the things that we could in our Honda Civic Coupe, which is a two-door. It's tiny. And that was the first stage of minimalism, but we didn't call it that. It was just like, all right, we just got to get out there super light. So let's just do this. Um, So I feel like the, like the first time John and I had this conversation about it was during that time where we were whittling down things that we didn't really love. And I used to be obsessed with Converse shoes and I had like eight or nine pair. And I was holding up this like sequin hot pink pair and he's like, really, do you really want those? And I'm like, I love these shoes. And he's, he's like, you never wear them. I'm like, but with this one outfit, they look immaculate, you know? And so anyways, that was kind of the beginning of it. And then we, like I said, we've moved a lot. We moved to Portland and then we moved to another residence within Portland. And then we moved back to Kansas and since then we've moved like several times for various reasons. And, um, so all the moves have made us just more intentional. Like, do I want to buy that? Because I have to move that. Um, <laughs> cause you know, it just kind of puts everything in perspective, but also I will give major credit to John because he started following a lot of minimalist bloggers and that started influencing the way that he viewed life in general, especially with, um, like I said, obligations and possessions and that all kind of ramped up when we had moved back to Kansas and he was in law school and we didn't have a lot of money. And we didn't like the situation that we we're in because he was in law school and I couldn't find a job. And we kind of had our backs against the wall um, in a lot of ways. And we we're like, well, some people in this situation would just take the next available option and say, I'm just going to go get this job because it, I need money. But instead we were like, well, what, what do we really want to do with our lives? And we had this like cliche as it is this big New Year's Eve talk, just him and I <laughs> one night and um, we decided that we were going to sell things to have some extra money to invest in things that we wanted, be it a digital camera or a better computer for um, blogging because at the time we decided that he didn't want to do, he didn't want to practice law and I didn't want to work at a coffee shop for the rest of my life. And I didn't want to um, write for somebody else. I wanted to have a successful website or blog. And so we started kind of carving things away that were in our way, whether it was, you know, possessions or, you know, mental distractions like I can't make this work. Well, why not? You know.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it was he's really great about leading us in that way and I because my um default would be to well, we need money, so I'm just going to go get a job even if I hate it. But <laughs> he gave me the I guess the floor to say I don't really want to do that. This is what I want to do. And so even though it was a struggle at times and we really didn't have a lot of, you know, resources, we did what we could with what we had and kind of had a very humble beginning, but it was really intentional. Like that's where I think minimalism starts is just being really intentional and questioning what you want. So yeah, that's kind of a long answer, but
0: yeah, no, I can relate actually from my own decision to go full time with my own accessory company that I had throughout high school and college, instead of getting the big business school job, like everybody else in my business school was doing at the time. And yeah, it it caused a lot of sacrifice and a lot of stressful months wondering if ends would meet, but I knew why I was doing it and was able to see that the long run turnout would be okay. Worst case, you can always go get that job if you need to. It's not irreversible. That's fantastic. So what would you recommend for someone who is considering minimalism themselves?
1: Well, um, I would say that, like I said, it kind of starts with Just being intentional with everything, which sounds kind of overwhelming, but just sit down and ask yourself, like, what do I really want out of life? Which is kind of a big question to start from, but I feel like that's kind of where you have to start from because that affects everything else. Like, if you want to be happier, or if you want um, a better job, or you want to spend more time with your family. If that is the main driving force for all of the decisions that flow after that, you will stay to it. You will stay committed to the decision. And so um, I would say first figure out what you want and then figure out what is standing in the way of that, whether it's a job that you hate or you have a house you can't afford or you have three cars in your family when you could maybe do with one or two. So you have less expenses and you need less income, therefore or your house is cluttered and you want to have a more peaceful home, you know, find out what you can give away or sell or just being more intentional with your buying decisions. Um, It can look a lot of different ways, but I would say the it starts with the big questions and then it it plays out in the little decisions um, in everyday life.
0: I love that. How has minimalism changed you as a person and as a couple? I've got to believe that it's changed you in some ways.
1: Yeah, it has really changed everything about us I think because I don't know we just when we look at our lives compared to how other people are doing their day-to-day life it just looks really really different
0: Can you give us an example
1: I mean I, and I don't want to come off as sounding like we do things better or we are we are living life in a better way it's just for us this is what makes us happy but I feel like we in in a lot of ways, we just kind of stopped making excuses for why we couldn't achieve X, Y, or Z or why we weren't happier or why, you know, anything that we wanted wasn't happening. And so we just make, <laughs> we talk almost every day about like little changes we can make or things we can give away or, you know, um, things we can do to make our budget more lean or, to have fewer obligations so we can have more time to do the things we love. And so I don't know, maybe one example would be like, we just, anytime we move, we usually, we don't want the stress of moving. And so we end up either like giving away everything or selling things online. And we just, that way we can just drive our car to our new destination and then we buy new things. And that looks drastically different than what most people would do. Um, but for us, like Sure, maybe the selling and buying new things is more stressful to some people, but to us it's not worth like hauling our things everywhere just because that's what people should do. I'm trying to think of another example. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Can you think of one with a time management, actually? I think that would be a really interesting example to share.
1: Well, I feel like we just obligate ourselves to less things, and we make things priorities that are important to us. And so we just... I think that our schedules just look drastically different than other people. And we have, if we, you know, we decided that we really wanted to work at home together. And so every day we have time in the mornings to wake up and have a nice chat over breakfast and coffee. And, but then we work really hard on our website. So even if we don't start until 10 or 11, sometimes we'll work until seven or eight at night or later. But I don't know. I think that it just, it was carving out a lot of the th- things that were cluttering up our day and th- just bigger things that we didn't enjoy, whether it was jobs or school or um, obligations that we had that just gave us more time to be together or to work on our website or just to go out and play or go on a walk.
0: So what are you working on right now? What is a change that you guys are implementing rather recently? Regarding minimalism? yeah.
1: Well, one, this is maybe like a smaller one, but I I don't know if any other people do this, but like you acquire all these things that you kind of like, and then in like six months or a year, you just don't like it. And so you've then wasted that money when you could have invested in the nicer thing. I don't know if anybody does that, but I think that we're both currently in the process of giving away things that we don't really love and use every day and value. And we are investing in things that we'll be able to keep forever and use for a long time. Um, so for me, that's my wardrobe. I just, I have always been like the, you know, I'll just, I just need a t-shirt. So I'm just going to go find the cheapest, easiest solution. And instead of doing that, we are investing in nicer pieces of clothing, which it's really hard for me because I'm kind of frugal. um, But I see the long term value in that. And I feel like that is kind of a common theme in a lot of minimalist lives. And that it's not that we don't buy things. It's just that we buy things only when we really need them. And we make sure we invest in things that will last rather than owning a lot of things that are just kind of subpar and that you aren't going to be able to use for a long time.
0: I can totally relate to that. Like I mentioned, I graduated and started my own business with $700 that I earned from the business in college and pretty much just made do. And I had this intention for me that I valued really quality items. Um, as a designer, I like loved design, but I couldn't afford much great design at the time. So what I realized is I could get rid of the things that weren't nice. I couldn't get rid of everything that wasn't nice and quality because I wouldn't have very much at all, but I could get rid of a lot of it. And over time, I replaced the things that weren't nice with things that were. And the proportion of things I had, even when I was you know, at my most frugal and poor state when I was starting out, I still had more nice things mm-hmm. because I had less not nice things. So proportionately... Like mm-hmm. you're talking about, it, it can be so powerful for people of any income level, obviously. This isn't just for people just starting out or, you know, someone that doesn't sure. have the money to spend on more things in general. But oh, it's so amazing when you can choose to let go of the not nice and, and invest in the nice things. Mm-hmm. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, and I feel like it's it's one of those things for me. I don't. I think it was Gretchen Rubin. Maybe said something about this. John has um, been a big fan of hers. She, I think she wrote the Happiness Project.
0: Yes, she did. Okay,
1: and he. And he I haven't read the book myself, but um, it's kind of on our bookshelf, and I'm I'm going to read it. But I think it was something like maybe she needed something. She knew she needed something that would make her day easier or her life happier, but she just never would go out and actually buy it because she didn't think to or something or it
0: was just I think it was a sponge (laughs) on her uh it was like a sponge caddy on her inner sink I think that's what it was
1: (laughs) yeah something like that I love that example because to me it's like okay so I need something don't really want to go buy it but it trips me up every day or it makes me really unhappy and if I just was more intentional about that decision and bought the thing I really needed it would make my life so much easier and that was a huge kind of mindset shift for me
0: is there an example there? Oh, I, I would use my wardrobe again. Is there a specific purchase that was like that
1: for you? I don't, I just feel like in general, it's just higher quality items. Like, well, I guess one would be like a winter coat. Like I finally splurged, I guess, this year and, and bought like a nice winter coat from J.Crew and I love it. <laughs> um, but like, I get cold really easily. And I had, I would always buy these, you know, kind of quick, cheap on sale coats and I would be freezing. Like I hate going outside and I would not really want to go outside at all because I did never had a coat that was warm enough for me. And now I have this nice, you know, wool custom or, you know, tailored coat and it's wonderful. And I can actually go outside and not be miserable in the winter. I mean, I'm still kind of miserable, but (laughs) (laughs) I at least know that and to me, that was hard, but I know that I will keep this coat for you know years and years and years. Whereas the other ones cost maybe a half of what this one did or a fraction, but I was cycling them every couple of years. So
0: that's fantastic. So I have a question from Sarah at Cake Over Steak, and she asked, "Do you have any tips for time management or thinking ahead for posts?"
1: Yes, I feel like most bloggers have, most bloggers I've talked to have entirely different systems on this. But for me personally, because I wouldn't say I'm a particularly good planner per se, and I'm not just like incredibly organized. However, I find that when I map out recipes a month in advance, like say it's April 1st, I want to make sure that I know what I'm making in May, even if I don't have like, say, like rhubarb won't be in season until may or whatever, I go ahead and say, well, this will be in season. And I know I can get this, um, because it kind of gives me some peace of mind for knowing like, okay, I have content ideas for next month. My website's not just going to die because I have no ideas. (laughs) Um, so the planning usually begins a month in advance. And if I can, I try and do three recipes every week, which includes a lot of, you know, testing and photographs and, um, retesting and all that kind of stuff, but I try and complete three recipes a week and also schedule out three recipes a week, Um, so I'm always scheduling out content, which means I'm typically about a month in advance, which I hope that's not, like, sad to some of our readers, like, man, it sounds like she just wrote this today or something.
0: Here, I want to clarify, just so I understand, so you shoot three recipes a week, but you're not actually sharing those specific recipes on the blog that week. You're actually a month in advance.
1: I'm a month in advance, and I got in that habit because we travel a lot. That was one of the other things that we decided, you know, during our pivotal New Year's talk. We want to travel more. Like, how can we do that? And so we got to travel a lot last year. So I didn't want to work when we were traveling, and so I went ahead and got like we took a couple of three-week trips. So I was already in the habit of getting a month ahead on recipes. Um, and that habit just kind of stuck for me. And I really like being able to spend that much time tweaking a post or a recipe. Because even if I schedule, it, I can go back in and like rewrite it if I want. And if it flops, I'm not just stressing to get the recipe perfected by tomorrow. You know what I mean?
0: When you go on three week trips, how do you I mean, social media and stuff? How do you run the business? I obviously you can schedule your posts. But do you feel like you notice a dip in terms of engagement because you're not online at the time? Or how do you handle that?
1: Well, we, I feel like on various trips, sometimes I will take my computer, but I at least always have my phone. And so we schedule out the posts, we schedule out Facebook posts, and we schedule out tweets. So we feel like everything, at least in terms of sharing-wise, is as usual because I always schedule out Facebook posts and tweets and such.
0: Do you use a specific site? Do you use like Hootsuite? I
1: use TweetDeck, I think. And then also there's, um, I use Ahology, which is a Pinterest application. There's also another one. I forget. Oh, pin Marklet. No, I don't remember what it's called. But you can schedule all pins now as well, which is huge for food bloggers because obviously it's such a visual game. And so all of those are going out as usual. And then how I interact with readers is honestly, usually primarily through Instagram and Twitter. And so if I have my phone, which is, I mean, you primarily use Instagram on your phone anyways, that I'm I'm still very connected to people. And when people make recipes, I always try and go check out their photo and like it and comment because I know how important that was to me when I was kind of like a fangirl of all these different food bloggers. Um, and they would say something back, you know, Um, and so I feel like that's how we primarily engage with our audience and it doesn't change a bit when we're traveling and it's actually really, really good creatively for us to get, to get away because we get to taste other cuisines and, um, obviously that just happens when you're traveling and I feel more creatively inspired when we get back. So I think it's a really good thing for us when we're able to travel.
0: Do you deal with email while you're gone or do you just let that go for three weeks? No, we
1: deal with email on our phones, which is usually how I'd like to deal with email anyways, just because it's, you know, well, we're not always tied to our email, but if there's something urgent, um, we definitely take, a care- take care of it right away.
0: Well, thank you. I think I learned a ton just listening to that and the sure. idea of having a month of content ahead of time is amazing. All right. So now I want to go into our last two questions. Number one, what doubts or resistance have you had to face in your career or your life? Um, I would
1: say the the biggest resistan- resistance I had to face was probably just with myself, which maybe sounds a little cliche, but I remember this kind of a few pivotal conversations that John and I had, and he, he's super encouraging, and he would you know kind of see the things that I was making for minimalist baker and be like, that's awesome, or he just would really encourage me to say like, hey, I think you can make this work if you really dig into it. And I didn't believe in myself, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, and so to, I mean, in addition to having somebody work on the website with me, sure, it's great that he can do the technical stuff and I can do the recipes and the photographs. But to have like a cheerleader and like kind of a coach and encourager to be alongside you every day, that that just like means all the difference. Because anybody who writes content, like, you know, you just doubt yourself at every turn. Like, is this is this going to be interesting to people? Is this, uh, you know, of value? Are people going to like this? And to have somebody saying like, yeah, absolutely. You're a rock star. Like that's huge. And so I would say, oh, and the other thing would be, I think that it's still kind of weird for me to tell people that I'm a food blogger as my career, because it sounds a little silly sometimes like, oh, like you just make food all day. Um, but I really believe in kind of what we do that people want to eat healthy and cook, um, but they don't want it to take up all of their resources or their time or, you know, just destroy their kitchens. <laughs> so I believe in the mission of our website. And um, especially since we provide a lot of special diet friendly recipes for vegan um, and gluten free eaters. I feel like every time we get a, a comment or a message from somebody saying like I haven't been able to have pizza in six years because I'm celiac, thanks for this, or you know I thought going vegan meant I couldn't enjoy desserts or whatever, and that that's just huge to me. So I feel like I get encouragement both from our readers and from John every day, and that's that helps me overcome my doubts of myself. So.
0: And thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Even though you had a slam dunk post the first time on the second blog that you had, (laughs) it doesn't mean. Yeah, I
1: just swore. I thought it was a fluke. I was like, oh, people are going to think I'm, you know, that was my only idea or
0: something. So, okay. Last but not least, what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey? I would say to
1: do the things that you really love to do, even if you feel silly for doing them. I was thinking about this the other day probably in terms of like what my previous answer just was about. It feels silly to me to tell people sometimes that I'm a food blogger or I specifically do food photography. Like that seems like such a bizarre niche. Um, But it's what I really love to do and it makes me happy and I could work 80 hours a week doing what we do. And when I meet other people who actually do the things that they love to do it's so inspiring. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it's like, wow, you, you do the things that you love, even if it means you make less money or it takes a little bit of sacrifice or you aren't sure if it's going to work out, you know, in the end. But I think it's worth taking that leap and that risk because it's so, so fulfilling. And I just wake up feeling like, wow, so blessed and so grateful for, kind of the life that we have. But I feel like in a lot of ways, it was an intentional decision to say, you know what, people might think this is silly, or like, it's not going to last. But this is what we feel inspired to do. And we love it. So yeah, that's my encouragement to people.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Dana. I really appreciate you being on the show and taking your time to share minimalism and in your whole journey with us. Definitely. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Dana, for being on the show. If you would like to send Dana a message to thank her for this episode, please go over to Twitter and send her a message at MinimalistBaker. Thanks so much and have a great week.